Hey guys, it's Dan here. Welcome to the Quit Your Day Job podcast. It's a podcast for frustrated creatives. And each week, I like to speak to some of my favorite creatives all about how they've turned what they love into what they do. And today, I'm speaking to one of my creative heroes. Her name is Tess, and she runs an agency called Smackbang Designs, which has been going for over eight years now. I came to know Tess because we shared a building in Surrey Hills in Sydney. She was downstairs, I was upstairs, and every time I passed by their office, I just marveled at the vibe, the atmosphere she'd created and curated for the people who work there. Her team is responsible for beautiful branding, websites, packaging design. They have a waiting list of people who want to work with them, but beyond the success of the business itself, I really marveled at the way Tess had created an environment that people really want to be part of, either on the receiving end of her work for the certain for the amazing client base, but more importantly for the staff and the way in which she creates and curates a space that is just something that you want to be part of. Beyond that, Tess is a high achiever in terms of having published an, a 265-page ebook about the process of starting a creative business, which is so full of great information packaged in a really palatable way. And her contribution to the marketing of her business through things like blogging and sharing of ideas in a really generous way sets a tone for not what it's like to just be a business owner, but what it's like to be a creative. Because sometimes we feel like we need to hold our cards really close to our chest and make sure that no one steals our special sauce recipe. But Tess is the testament to how you can share and be generous with your ideas and inspiration and information in a way that comes back to you, sets a great tone for the sort of work you want to be making, and inspires people to know what you're capable of doing because they're seeing you share the ideas of everything that you're working on in a way that allows them to bring the best version of themselves to the table for a collaboration. I love sitting down with Tess to talk to her about how she began her agency, making the transition from being a solo gun for hire to hiring some staff to then building it into a business that then needed an account manager. Because a lot of people who listen to this are either going to still be in the day job that they're daydreaming about what the life beyond the palace walls could look like. And there are some people who would be in the early stages of beginning that journey into solopreneurship. So it's just great to hear really pragmatic ideas about how you expand your vision for what a company could look like. And it's really reassuring to know that Tess just followed her intuition and and researched and worked hard in terms of learning about an agency by building one from the ground up with zero experience, but a lot of dedication and determination. It really can be done by anyone. It's not a magical formula. It's just a process. And it's all very pragmatic. And Tess magnificently shares so many of her ideas in this podcast. But if you are inspired by what you're hearing, check out her book. It's called Calling the Shots. And it's available via the website of her agency, Smackbang Designs. And I'm excited to wait for the second book that's coming out that deep dives into some of those areas about agency and creative business. When I think about my own work in the agency space, you know, I have a little team, we make content, I think about all the ways in which I'd like to grow over the next couple of years, and 
like I tell Tess at the end of our chat, you know, Snack Bang Designs really is the big sister agency to Marcello, my agency, and I, I would love to follow in their footsteps in terms of continuing to make work that we believe in with clients that we vibe off in an environment that is really conducive to our best time and a good day in the office. It's a joy to speak to Tess, and I'm so looking forward to sharing this interview with one of my local heroes. And if you haven't seen it already, check out the creative wellness vlog that I've got going on over on my Instagram channel. So every couple of days, I'm answering a different question from different creatives in my orbit about their creative practice and process to do with overcoming blocks or whatever they're looking at in terms of expanding their business. I will research if needs be, or generally just give you some thought starters to begin the process of exploration so that you can further your creative practice, but also benefit everyone else who might be able to hear the ideas as well. So DM me or send me an email. And in the meantime, enjoy my chat with Tess from Smackbang Designs. Tess, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me. I didn't want to talk too much about, because what always happens is as I'm setting up, I have all these questions I'm dying to ask, and then yeah. we get into the topic, and then I'm thinking, I need to re- like recreate the conversation from scratch with as much feeling as before. But I have so many questions I wanted to ask you about Smackbang Designs yeah. and all the work you've been doing. But I always start by saying to people, when someone says, hey, what do you do? What do you tell them? Um, well, it's changed over time. When I first started Smackbang, I used to say I'm just a designer, and that just word, that pesky little just got in there. Um, but now I say I run a design agency and I can say it with confidence because I've got track record. I actually do run a design agency. <laughs> and, you've, and you've been doing it for six or seven years? No, 11 now. <gasps> oh my Sorry, gosh. not 11. I've been in a relationship for 11 and it's my anniversary. That's where 11 comes from. It's eight. Eight, okay. Because I think I got six from the book that you published. Yes. Calling the Shots, which yes. is... Which we published two years ago. Okay, so, that yeah. makes sense. And it's six, that's a 260 page tome. It's massive. We'll get onto that in a minute because yeah. that, I mean, there are some people, many of which I'm friends with, who spend 10 years saying, I'm going to write a book, and you just <laughs> seem to do it as a little bit of a side project. But anyway, <laughs> to be continued, um, I, so the reason that we know each other is because yes. we were in the same building. Yes. We had the attic. Yes, and the you, cool attic. The cool attic, and you guys had this uh, a space downstairs in the same building, but now, you know, we're, we're in different sides of town. Mm-hmm. Um, what I observed is a very harmonious space full of really creative interesting people um many of which who love neutral tones and (laughs) And linen (laughs) (laughs) lots of linen um but uh it it is what i always thought of when i thought okay i'd love to have a collection of creatives working Mm. together in harmony it was a beautiful machine to observe thank you like what was that process that took you from just a designer to running a design agency was it an aspiration that you had like I think one day I'd like to have a an agency of my own where did that begin good question I feel like for me it was never I mean the vision developed as I kind of found my way through it but it was never an intention from the start so I dropped out of university um, my fourth university degree what did you try on the way to they were all somewhat related and I'm grateful for doing the small pieces that I did because it kind of amounts to what I do now I did fine arts at Kofa for like 10 months. I did journalism by correspondence for probably six months. Um, visual communications up in Queensland and then visual communications in UTS in Sydney. Um, so somewhat similar. Um, but yeah, decided, I don't know, I was just too impatient. I was like, I just want to do the work. I'm sick of talking about it. And that's 
me in a nutshell, like trial by fire. Um, and so, yeah, I think I just started out as a freelancer and I was like, I'll just do this and see what happens. You know, I'm not, I never actually thought that I could run a design agency. I'd never stepped foot in a design agency. I'd never had a real job before. I was a barista whilst at uni, you know what I mean? Like, um, and so yeah, I just started getting clients and then as, as it kind of progressed and I think it was probably by, you know, year two or three, I was like, I had a few staff and I was like, well, I'm not really a freelancer anymore. I've changed from a sole trader to a company. Maybe I have an agency. How, <laughs> and then I played long? around with that term for a very long time. Well, so the, for, what was that transition like from you being sing, a gun for hire, mm-hmm. single sole trader to what was your first hire? How did you know what, who to hire? It was six months in. So I, I was very social back then, Dan, which I'm definitely not anymore. <laughs> World-class introvert now. But back then I was, you know, I think I, I just knew so many people and I was so social and I just kind of got work via friends and friends of friends. And then that kind of ripple effect spread. Um, and so, yeah, six months into freelancing, I had a wait list and I was like, well, this is exciting, but also... I felt like I needed to start turning people down because I was just too busy and I didn't want to, yeah, I didn't want to have people waiting around for me. It just didn't feel right. And so I kind of said to myself, I was like, okay, I either turn down projects that I actually really want to do and they're really exciting projects um, or I just get someone to help me in whatever whatever that means because I had no idea what an employee, like what the terms were around that and what that meant for me. Um, but I just kind of took the leap and I hired a, a freelancer. So just on a contract kind of basis, a contractor. Um, and she worked for me to begin with just two days a week, um, which was really helpful, but it quickly progressed into me knowing that I needed more than that. Um, and so, yeah, she was my first hire and then it kind of happened quite quickly after that. So as I said, like by about year three, I, I think I had probably four or five staff, and then fast forward to now, eight years on, eight years on I've got 15. So, yeah. Wow. I, I, I learned the hard way about what, like, how to kind of set up that system and what having an employee means, all of that. You know, like, you, I, as I said, I had no previous experience. So it was just learning by mistakes and, you know, feeling my way out through intuition. And I had a couple of good mentors, which really helped. Well, that's a great topic to come, yes. to come to because it is hard if you, if you, it would be hard enough even if you come up in an agency space to then create one, yeah. but having never even seen one before to yeah. know how they operate. Oh man. And I got myself in a really sticky situation because of it. So like you would know what an account manager is. It's someone who kind of liaises with the clients, the project manager, etc. I had no idea. So I literally was hiring all these designers and yet I was still this this crux in the middle of it filtering the work in and out client to designer and I was just breaking because I was like how do people do this <laughs> and then you know epiphany google research <laughs> something I probably should have done much earlier but yeah figured out there's these things called account managers that keep the whole thing working they're the the gears of the whole thing so yeah and that was is it hard when you sign up to do, because the challenge that I always find is I signed up to have a little agency because I love to do a certain type of work. Mm-hmm. And what I found in growing an agency is that I spend all my time now <laughs> doing 
administrative tasks. Managerial Managerial stuff. things, which I specifically <laughs> decided to start an agency so I could get away from that. And yeah. now, I'm, oh, now it's my life. Yeah. And so how did you, like, at what stage did you, or did you hit a wall where you think, oh, I'm, I'm spending all my time doing tasks that aren't yeah. creative and fun? Yeah. I mean, two answers to that question. The first is that the point where I'm at now, I actually really love the business quote unquote side of it and that to me is a really creative process interestingly I mean I I I have a general manager so warranted I don't have to do heaps of the nitty-gritty admin stuff now but I still am very involved in like the business side of it and less in the design side of it so I feel like I've gotten to a point now where I'm like I love that piece of it um but there definitely was a point where I can't even remember where it was probably like half like maybe four years in five years in and I felt the same. I was like, all I'm doing is managerial stuff. Like, I cannot get out of my inbox. What happened to the days of design? Like, that was my passion, etc. And then, interestingly, one of the girls got sick. And I got pulled into the design side of it for, I think it was like one and a half, two weeks or something quite small. By the end of that one and a half, two weeks, I was like, get me out of Photoshop. It's so tedious. Like, just the minute tinkering with a logo or, you know, coming up with a color palette. Like fun but I think I'd outgrown it I was I was finding myself getting really impatient with that process and my creativity now is so different it's it's in like as I said the business vision and coming up with you know like probably bigger picture stuff whilst I have so much admiration respect and love that craft of you know designing and coming up with that identity and things like that I've realized that it's not for me anymore, which is a very interesting realization. Well, I, my, one of my um, cliched stories that I always come back to is my dad telling me throughout my teens and 20s, you should do a business course. Yeah. Why don't you do this? And not, I mean, if he told me it would empower me creatively, I might have listened to him. Mm-hmm. But for the entire time, I was saying, you know, I'm a creative. You don't understand. <laughs> totally. Get out of my face. Yeah. And what I, I mean, Andy Warhol says good business is the best art of all. I think yeah. that it is really true. Business can be really creative. I think but it you, has to be. And also, if you apply a creative lens to business, you have a winning edge. 100%. Compared to someone who's only come up in the business school mentality, I think that business, good business, is inherently creative because you are inventing, you're inventing processes that have existed for specific circumstances. It's creative problem solving. Exactly. And that's what I was just about to say. I think it's problem solving. And if you can problem solve with a creative lens, far out the beauty that waits. It's so fun. Mm. It's just continually innovating and thinking, like, how can we do better? What have we done in the past that didn't work, you know? And that, to me, is such a creative process. So when you were initially a, a sole trader and then you found yourself with the six-month wait list, what was your special source that, that people were gravitating towards that meant you could enter into a, work, into a, a scene yeah. and have people gravitate towards the work? Um, good question. I think the work kind of spoke for itself, if I can say that. I think in the beginning, my strategy without me really knowing it was kind of an unconscious strategy was I priced my services quite low. And I think, you know, your, your prices generally match your self-worth and what you perceive to be, you know, of value. Um, and so, yeah, at one point, I think my total portfolio probably came to like $2,000 or something, you know, like it was, we're doing, I was doing logos for dirt cheap and just... I think, as I said, unconsciously, I think that strategy was learn as much as you possibly can, have as many case studies as you possibly can, do the experimentation, dealing with the clients, making the mistakes, just 
collecting loads of data essentially so that I could kind of go, okay, that's the type of person who I want to work with. This is where my skill set lies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Cause I can make some really profound decisions because I had the track record. So I think that was probably key to me kind of attracting clients in the beginning because I'd done heaps of work. So I had the skill set, but I was only putting in my portfolio the types of clients that I wanted to attract. So that caliber of work kind of attracted the same caliber, if not better, and the same kind of clients, if not better, if that makes sense. When you're a, a new startup or even a sole trader who's um, offering services, there are certain, I think, big ticket items that are worth investing energy in and time in. When you were establishing yourself, I imagine a website would have been really key in marketing and your own branding would have been inherent because you're doing it for everyone else, therefore (laughs) it's it's possible to... It's always the hardest when you do it for yourself. That is true. It's almost like when you can give your best friend advice. You're like, you need to leave him, you need to move out of that chair house, you need to, you know... But I'm not listening to any of my own advice. (laughs) But when you... So what what were your big ticket items that you're like, okay, I need to put all of my creative energy and resources behind these key areas to start marketing myself well? Yeah, cool. So I think from the outset... I had an innate understanding that I needed, if I wanted to continue doing the work, I needed to market myself alongside that. And so that was always a huge focus for me and luckily a really creative process. And that's what I still have a lot of control. Like, you know, I'm very hands-on with our marketing at SmackBang um, and I really enjoy it. I think there's so much like satisfaction with seeing how your marketing can evolve and develop and what that in turn does for your business. So back in the day, I... Every Tuesday, even when I was like from the get-go as a sole trader, I would keep aside my Tuesdays to work on the business, not in it. So I didn't do any client work on Tuesdays at all. And I kind of dedicated that day to do marketing or, you know, occasionally I'd look at my finances. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so that was a really big piece of it, just being really disciplined in putting the time and energy into it. And in terms of the actual output, I mean, we were kind of quick to take on Instagram as soon as it launched, which um, has been such a blessing for us. It's, you know, it's probably 50% of our business comes through Instagram still now. Um, And also our blog. So I've always written from day dot a fortnightly blog, which is kind of tips and tricks and um, a really personal kind of take on business, on branding, um, just... Yeah, I, I think I really enjoy writing and that's another creative outlet for me and it's been really successful. So we have quite a few subscribers on our EDM list and every fortnight we send that out, we get inquiries back. So it's been yeah, quite a powerful mechanism for our marketing for sure. I think whenever I've been really generous with my ideas, yeah. even with the client that I'm going to just meet with about the idea of working together, I usually always get a really, like, it's always worked in my favour. Sometimes I've actually sat opposite someone and I'm like, I'm giving you so much intel for free, but I'm, what the hell, you know, yeah, I like your vibe, this is a cool place. And actually, it's, it never not works in your favor. I agree 100%. I think it's Danielle Laporte or someone, some American, you know, guru says, give away your best work for free. And I couldn't agree more because, you know, like, for instance, if I look at that as a bit of a case study in Smack Bang, like I've been writing this blog, giving away like my complete inside knowledge and experience and personal kind of um, commitment into this blog 
for no money whatsoever. Like there's no monetary return on that. But then we launched our ebook, which we were briefly talking about in the introduction. And we saw like, we literally broke our website when we launched it. Website crash, server crash, etc. Because so many people had resonated with the blog for years. And now there was something for them to open their wallets for. And it just worked. You know what I mean? And I think without the blog, it would have been such a flop. So I agree. Like I'm all for giving away your best work, your knowledge, just sharing. It's so valuable. And is it about the way in which you present the information? Because the thing that I'm really intrigued by is when it comes to you know, a good equipment is like fitness or weight loss. All that information has existed in the public <laughs> sphere for decades. Yeah. Yet when someone comes along and is really disruptive in the space, yeah. it's usually because they've found a way to package the information in a way yeah, that makes it really palatable. So um, do you think that it's about how you presented the information that makes it kind of easy to digest? Or Definitely. I think palatable is such a great word for it. And I've always written from a really honest place. And I think that that creates resonance. You know what I mean? Like I'll, I'll never skirt around the grit of running a business. Like there's so many blogs on there. It's probably me just like 2am rant, like fuck this. <laughs> but you know, people resonate with that and they want to hear that side of it as well. I think like, to gloss over it is to share like 30% of the story. And so that, again, an unconscious kind of strategy has played out in that way exactly. Like I think making it resonant, making it palatable, but making it like making it entertaining and emotional and really relatable. And I get, you know, really sweet emails all the time. Like, hey, I just read your blog and I feel like we're friends. And like, we are friends. (laughs) Pen pals. Yes. I need letters back from you, though. <laughs> uh, when you were, I love the idea of sharing your best mm. ideas and then knowing that you know creative karma will yeah. take care of the rest. But when it, when for people who are listening to this, who are in that process of coming up and working out how to price themselves and yeah. how do you determine your worth? At what stage did you go from undercharging yeah. and to then going? No, now I think this is worth you know something different. So it's evolved over time, like you know, every year we kind of reevaluate our rate card, et cetera, et cetera. And I think, you know, there's definitely, like I said, I think that you equate your prices to your self-worth and that confidence grows. And so your prices grow. But for me, I think there were definitely moments where it was like, just absolutely crucial that we charge more. It's like, I now have mouths to feed. There's, you know, there's more people than just me relying on this business turning over a profit. Um, and you know, it's like, staring down the face of, you know, your profit and loss sheet. You're like, well, there's only one way to change this and that's to charge more. And, you know, like I think there's definitely been moments of absolute necessity. But, yeah, I think, as I mentioned, it's just an ever-evolving process of kind of matching what you're delivering, like the value that you're delivering with the price that you're charging. Have you, uh, when you, when the business has grown, have you erred on the side of, let's make sure we have more people than we may need just in case, just so everyone is having a better time? Or do you go, let's just only do another hire once we are desperate? I love hiring people. (laughs) (laughs) I'd have like a million people in here if I could. I want every day to be a party. Um, but I have a general manager who's much more realistic than I am. Well, if <laughs> um, I knew we all had LED, LED. Oh she, so yeah, everyone needs an LED. When I am hiring, I literally go, oh my God, yes. what LED-esque <laughs> symptom, <laughs> symptoms does this person have? I get really worried talking about LED so highly in public because I'm like, someone's going to fucking snap her. <laughs> Sorry, she's handcuffed to her chair. It's fine. Um, so yeah, I, as I said, I love hiring people. I find it's, it's really satisfying for me. And I, I feel like 
one of my like core values is curation. I love just curating people, things, you know, like I, I find that that's really like a big part of my strength. Um, but yeah, obviously you need money to be able to pay for them. Funny that. Um, and so Elodie and I have many topic, many discussions and it's mainly around, um, when the business is growing or, you know, for instance, last year I went on maternity leave for five months. And so we, we hired a couple of people before then. So it's as, you know, like everything in business, it's an ever evolving thing. And I, we really do like to always be prepared for growth at any point. Snackbang has grown very, very quickly and moments of like real growth spurts. And if you're not prepared for that, it can be really fucking stressful. It's probably really stressful anyway, but if you kind of got the right team in place, it's far less stressful. So yeah, like I do, uh, on the side of more people because for us, you know, company culture is everything. So the last thing I want is to have, you know, two people fulfilling the role of 15. It would be absolutely horrible. And, you know, I feel like the success of Snack Bang lies in the happiness of our people. And so for me, it just doesn't equate to have an understaffed company culture. But yeah. When you talk about the curatorship of all things, that makes me think of how beautiful the spaces that I see this space. Yeah. It feels so lovely to be in. Yeah. The previous space was heaven. And I... Um, I wonder whether or not the, the there is actually always a, a, there's design going on at all times. There's design. I drive the, my partner crazy. <laughs> but there's also design with the flavor of the human beings. Yes. There's design with yes. the energy of the space. There's design yep. with the light. There's you know. absolutely, and I think that that's just something that I've always had. Like I remember being a kid and just changing my room around every second week, and my mum was like, "Just keep goddamn bed in the same place. Like, what are you doing? It's just." A hung, like a thirst in me. I, I need change and I need to be creative and I need to kind of, as I said, like curate. So like my home, even I'm going to Europe in a couple of weeks and just the curation of how like we're going to experience Europe, you know, like that's such a, a fuel for me. I don't know. It's, it's interesting. And I'm only beginning to articulate that now. I think it's always kind of just been an unconscious thing, but I'm like, no, it's curation. That's kind of what it is. Have you designed the team so that you can step away mm. and not be crucial to the running? Definitely. And, you know, in the lead up to me taking maternity leave last year, it was such a focus pretty much for the whole of last year. That's pretty much all I did was just, who do we need to have in place? What's the dynamic that it needs to be? Like, what systems do we need? How does the whole thing run without me? And, um, you know, with the help of Elodie, we did that really successfully. And as I said, I took five months completely off, which for a business owner is a real feat. Um, and for a control freak as well, it's a real feat. Um, and so, yeah, I think we have. It's been really interesting me coming back this year because I've struggled to find my feet. I'm like, well, am I redundant? <laughs> like the, the ego You guys group. need me, right? Yeah, exactly. Like I think as a boss, you're constantly like, oh, they need me. And that's... For so long, it's the case. It's true. But then when it's not, what does that mean for you? And and I'm only just... So I've been back at work for three months now. And I'm only just starting to find my feet and find where I need to sit now because I've literally made myself redundant. And now I want to be back in. This is my baby. I love it. I get so much enjoyment and satisfaction out of it. So, yeah, it's, it's an interesting place to be in, like trying to be needed again <laughs> well, also you have an actual baby now yes a, a, a human baby and then the machine baby yes. um do you was what was that process like in terms of you know having time at home when you were 
pregnant but not yet having to take care of another yeah. human, were you absorbing lots of inspiration and ideas yeah. in the process leading up to Definitely. So I had four weeks off before Dylan came. She was quite late. Um, and it was awesome. I was painting again. I had all this, yeah, creativity. And then it's, it's a, a strange place to be in because I opened that space and then this creativity flooded through. But then I gave birth to Dylan and it's just like that newborn phase like I would not call it creative perhaps that's some people's experience but for me it's just a shock and you're in like this bubble and it's beautiful and it's it's intense and it's deep and it's amazing but it's certainly like a slap to the face of your self-expression you know and that has been such a big part of my journey is like creativity and self-expression and for the first four months I would say of Dylan's life that was completely blocked because um, you're literally keeping another human alive. And if we talk about problem solving as before, the only problems I was solving was like changing a nappy and how to like get my baby to stop crying and, you know, the joys of breastfeeding, etc., etc. So I think, yeah, it's, I'm in a really good place now and I love the integration of my two babies. <laughs> um, but yeah, for those first four months, it was total shock to the system. It, it seems to me that you've uh, designed a lifestyle that really facilitates um, and puts boundaries around creative mm. rejuvenation yeah. because and I, maybe you've experienced times in the process of building the business that you felt depleted and therefore needed to create that structure. Yeah. But what does that look like for you in terms of your desired space to either input inspiration or be mm. creative? How do you take care of your creative self? Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of I've I've lost a sense of that since having Dylan. I'm only just kind of like being like oh yeah I do need time for myself to you know be a good mother and be a good boss and be a creative person um so it's a work in progress <laughs> for sure but my partner and I as you know moved down to Coldale two years ago now which is um just an hour and a half south of Sydney it's a very sleepy little coastal town and it's exactly where we need to be um because we can both tap into our opportunities our work opportunities in Sydney but then we can go on a retreat and, you know, you walk down the beach there and there's not another soul on the beach and um, it's quiet and it's slow and that is so conducive to creativity for me. I'm not the type of person that needs loads of stimulation to be creative. I actually need wide open space. Um, and so that was a big choice and it certainly hasn't been easy. Like the complications of just kind of living two lives essentially um, isn't easy, but it's so worth it. It's like when we're down there, it's simple and it's enjoyable and it's just us and we're renovating our house and it's very um, nurturing and I find that is really conducive to creativity. And then I come up here and I have a short burst of energy with my team and that's also conducive to my creativity because it's not too much. I'm not a real city person, so it's kind of having the two fuels each other, if that makes sense. I imagine also because you are here for really specific periods, mm. you're really... Um, you're not wasting any of that time. Oh, no. You're like, okay, here's my hit list. <laughs> Every minute is yeah. like accounted for. And I remember when even the conversation to have a chat for the podcast <laughs> yes. has been going on since before Dylan was conceived, yeah, yeah, like yeah. a long time ago. And <laughs> even, you know, a few months ago, you're like, I think on the 2nd of August, <laughs> there's a window of an hour. Cause it's just, I'm like, well, she's got to make sure the time in the yes, city is appropriate. Exactly. Used. And I do have really strong boundaries, you know, and I think I always have really strong boundaries, because I'm, I guess, 
really good at kind of knowing where, like what needs my energy at any given time. And I'm so committed to my team. I think that's a big piece of it is that I prioritize, you know, their livelihood, you know, their kind of growth. Um, but since having Dylan, I'm like, wow, it's like the priorities shift again. And, you know, my time spent away from Dylan needs to be really meaningful. And so when I'm in Sydney, you ride, it's like, like machine gun, get it done. And I'm really present for that day, but I go, I'm so tired. <laughs> I was having a floating theory recently that I was talking to a friend of mine who's just got his career up and running. He's sort of in his late twenties after floating around for a bit. And he's like, it's really hard to have a relationship and a career <laughs> and friends. I just, Cause he was yeah. all about friends and career. And then the relationship came along that you've yeah. never had to do three before. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking maybe you can only do two things really well. You can only yeah. really be an awesome socialite, yeah. an awesome career person, maybe simultaneously. But if you try and throw a relationship in the mix and try and be an awesome partner, you have to and choose. Throw a baby and in then the mix. throw a baby, and then maybe you can only do two things really well. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that, and it's really hard. As like I'm a full fledged perfectionist, and I just want to give everything two hundred percent. But what that leaves me with is zero. I have nothing for myself, and I'm kind of just processing this now and figuring out like how do you actually manage that because I'm trying to be the best boss the best mom you know the best partner this that and the other and it's like wow something's got to give but I I definitely agree with that it's kind of you know something's got to give I don't think that it's realistic to always be the best yeah at all three or all four or some people have five six things and maybe, you know, there's the most cliched way to refer to it is, can you have it all? And I think the answer to that, from my opinion, would be, you can, but just over the course of your life, yeah, you, will not have, all at once. you will have had it all <laughs> at some stage. Yes. But to try and do it all simultaneously means you're not truly yeah. doing everything yeah. or doing one thing particularly well. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And I mean, maybe that's a, an option for some people, but I would rather just maybe be... Beyonce. Yeah. <laughs> but also, like, if we had staff, we could all do Beyonce. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah. Almost. Yeah, I guess. I feel like it's so dependent on your personality, though, right? Like, I think what I'm working on at the moment is knowing that I... I can never tell if it's just your personality. Like, I'm trying to work on at the moment being content with my output, no matter if the impact is 200%. Or not, if that makes sense, you know, like I'm giving it my best, which is my 100%, and whether that end result is 100% of what I've given in the past, if you know what I mean. It's like if I'm giving everything 80%, like if all those impact points are equating to 80%, that's fine because it's my 100%, and I'm just trying to get okay with that in the sense that you can't always be perfect and you can't always be delivering, you know, your personal best. I think it's really good to stock take what success looks yes. like to you. Yes. And if success looks like to you being available to mm-hmm. your team and having meaningful exchanges mm-hmm. and turning up for... I think I've started to work in, in time blocks as many yeah. measures of success because I realized that if I looked at my to-do list being done as my only measure of success, mm. I will never be satisfied <laughs> because the to-do list is never done. No. The moment you even, even if in life in general, when you achieve the goals, you just fill yeah. the list with a new yeah. set of goals. So you are never truly satisfied. That's so true. So all you can actually do is just go, well, I've committed eight hours to yeah. this day. And in that time, I've been focused and I've been working through it's been a successful day. It's been a successful um, <laughs> commitment to, yes. to the work. Yeah. I, when you were 
uh, developing the the way in which Smack Bang. Mm. I mean, you you do brand for a living, so I'm intrigued by the idea of how Smack Bangs as a brand is defined. And when people say, oh, "I love working with Smack Bang," what are they what what are they tapping into? And even oh, that's the name. Interesting question. And even the name is so catch sticky. <laughs> it's so bold. Hey? That was my 22 year old self. It's like whatever. Um, what are they buying? I, I guess for us, we never want to pigeon ourselves as a design agency alone. Um, and I think that it helps that I've never worked in a traditional design agency, so I wouldn't even know what that looked like or felt like. But we always kind of refer to ourselves as a design agency with a lifestyle approach. So if you look at you know our brand as a whole, it's um, lots of people wearing white linen. <laughs> um, no, we kind of, we produce products outside of the realm of what a, tra- a, a traditional agency, from what I hear, works with, you know, a smaller number of clients. At any given time, we're working on 80 projects. So that's huge. The, the momentum with which we need to have in the fast pace and what that kind of creates in our studio is different to a traditional agency because we're not working on big campaigns. It's kind of, you know, like a rebrand of the website and packaging or whatever, you know, it's, it's a little bit more nimble and fast paced in that sense. But then we also have products like, you know, the ebook that you were talking about, I'm working on a new ebook, um, a magazine, we're about to step into the event space. Um, and always kind of keeping a fresh approach, I think mainly for our own sake, you know, we know that clients love it too, because they get to kind of step into our world and it's exciting and it's fresh and it's really creative in that way. Um, but also we don't get bored. Um, and that's my greatest fear is, you know, myself or the team getting bored with this whole thing. So continually pushing ourselves to step outside of agency world and what can we do, you know, that surrounds that, that's still connected to our kind of core purpose, but is, yeah, really creatively satiated. When I was working out what my hires would look like, I just found people who did what I did the same or better. Yeah. <laughs> and do you find that your team does do things the way you would do them? Um, yes and no, and for better and worse. Um, I think I certainly outsource my weaknesses. So, for instance, if we take Elodie, she is everything I am not and vice versa. And that's really crucial. I think it's having like, you know, key members of staff, probably like, you know, the senior kind of leaders in the team need to be your outsourced weaknesses um, because that's really important. And then, yeah, I think on a fundamental level, like we're all from the same kind of value base. We all value the same things in life and that bonds us together. But we all have really different opinions. And I think that that's just as crucial um, I like it when they challenge me and when they tell me that my idea is shit and, you know, when that, when I can see them having a great debate between each other as to how things should unfold. And I think that that's so valid and so necessary because if we're all saying the same thing and going down the same path, the end result's going to be far less great. Well, when I was um, rereading, when I've looked at Calling the Shots, the ebook again, it's usually been because I've had a problem and one of the problems was I was hitting a wall with a client that was hard work and not gelling and it was a real challenge I remember going oh there was something in that book about just finding your like resonating with clients that are that are vibrating at a similar frequency yes. you know it's so, important. it's so hard to build when you're just saying yes to everything because you want to have jobs yeah. to then all of a sudden go actually no now I'm in a process of needing to articulate who I want to work yeah. with 
and who I'm going to accept jobs from. Yeah. What sort, what, what's your ideal client look like and how's, how does that synergy work? Um, so for us, again, I think there needs to be a fundamental um, baseline of value alignment. Uh, we need to kind of be coming from the same place as to what we want to see in the world. Um, we really love working with people who challenge the way that we see the world. You know, like they're doing something forward-thinking, innovative, exciting. They're not just... Um, taking a product and putting their flavor to it, if that makes sense. We also really love clients who have a really strong creative vision and a great story to tell. Like the last thing we want to see is a carbon copy or, you know, like a patchwork of this Pinterest board. Like this is just what I want to be. And it never works. That's the problem. You know, if their why isn't strong enough or their their story isn't authentic enough I feel like our job is 10 times harder um, and often the end result isn't that great so yeah I think like in terms of industries or size we're so flexible in that sense like we work with big small you know from hospitality to fashion to beauty like it all has quite a lifestyle flavor to it but yeah, it's more about the intent and the purpose and also the person themselves. Like we have a really strong no assholes policy. Um, and, you know, I will back my account manager any day of the week um, because at the end of the day, one, it's really freaking energy sucking. And like you say, you want to operate at a high, fra- high frequency, but also those projects are never profitable. As well as being a drain on your energy, it's yeah. a drain on your resources. Totally. Yeah, they're never easy. So, yeah, that's a big one for us. When it comes to establishing a why or allowing a client to, do you, as the branding agency, help? Like, what does that look for those who have never heard of mm-hmm. what a branding agency does? How, what sort of services do you offer besides the obvious outputs like website and yeah. business cards and, yeah. you know, uh, packaging design? So, the step before that um, is generally. You know, we have a brand workshop, which is um, just kind of discovery, where we're kind of trying to draw out of the client and get them to articulate their purpose and where they've come from, how they ended up here, what they what their audacious goals are, and how they want to change the world. Because essentially, at the end of the day, we're all doing that, you know, as big or as small as that is. We're all changing the world in some way, shape, or form. So how do they want to do that? What what story or what mechanism or vehicle are they using to do that? Um, and so not all clients opt to have a brand workshop. Some clients come to us and they have a really distilled vision already and it's already articulate and it's great. And we just pick that up and go, yep, thank you, and do the rollout of collateral. But for the most part, we'll do a brand workshop. And then often clients would choose to get what we call a brand Bible. So that is essentially another GC doc. <laughs> it's only about 40 pages. <clears throat> and um, we kind of go through the brand story, the brand history, the objectives. We look at their values, their vision, their mission, their target market, personas, all of that. So that's something that I generally work with clients on a lot. And we articulate all of that for them. So we do the workshop. I ask them a million questions. I kind of download the juice and it's often in a very fragmented, you know, when you're in like a creative visionary, it's just like up here, just a hundred things at once. And so what the brand Bible does is, you know, and what I do behind the scenes is kind of pull all of that together and structure it, articulate it, pull out the parts that I think will work best um, and kind of hone in on those. And then once they have that juicy brand Bible, then we can go and do the brand identity and the website 
and the packaging, etc., etc., etc. Great, because I suppose also some people would know so much about that coming to you, and some people yeah. are just like, we've got an idea for a product, and exactly. then you know you help us fill in the rest. Yes, yeah, and often they know innately. Mm-hmm but they need someone to hold space for them to be able to kind of download that themselves. What I imagine is with the way in which you've structured the lifestyle in terms of having a retreat in a nature-infused space, coming to the city where it is, you know, much more dynamic, dynamic and, yeah. you know, it's, it's more full power. What are your strategies for overcoming burnout? <laughs> Coffee. <laughs> <laughs> if you, say, say, for example, you've come to the end of like, a, 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 you've delivered yeah. a big job and you are energetic, energetically depleted. Yeah. Um, you know, baby aside, because that's a whole yeah. other kettle of fish. <laughs> um, but, you know, you, um, there are points that I think everyone, even if they're not in a creative field, yeah. identify with this idea of being burnt out and yeah. having nothing more to give. And I have some tools that are in my cachet of like, I mean, generally, when I really hit a wall, you'll find me in bed watching episodes of Nigella yes. drinking chicken broth. You know? like, <laughs> yes, Nigella, I love you. <laughs> with the dog at the end of the day, like, you know, I just, yes. that is oh, my... Dogs are therapy for sure. Emergency, yeah. all stations, put, yeah, get, the, get the pre-made broth and watch Nigella. Yeah, you know what? I'm pretty protective of my energy nowadays. Like I, in the early stages of setting up SmackBang, I went into severe bouts of burnout for sure. But every time, less dramatic and less severe because I kind of put up boundaries that protected myself from going there. And so now I'm pretty good touch wood. (laughs) Um, but it's really the simple things, you know, it's, it's winding back, you know, just saying like, I think leadership in so many ways is it can be as broad as saying, I can't come in today because I'm fucking tired. You know, like I think that just because you're the boss doesn't mean that you have, you have to show up every day. So I think, yeah, dialing back, taking the day off, spending time with my partner, my dog, like best cure for anything. Um, and we really thrive on being in nature. So whether it's like a camping trip or just exploring a new beach or yeah, just kind of being in the sunlight for me is massive. Um, so you won't find me in Netflix, <laughs> in bed with Netflix. Um, although I do love that. Mine's more kind of going out and like seeing nature and being in the world in that way. When you wrote the book, was that in response to you had been make, sharing the ideas via the blog for so long and yeah. then you thought, well, let's just condense the best of our learnings into one concise place, like one yeah, destination? I guess that was a part of it, but the main driver for it was when I was setting up my business, I wanted a resource like that. I downloaded so many ebooks when I was starting out my business and they're all fucking empty. Like they like, you know, people can sell a product so well and then you purchase the ebook and it's like, well, that didn't actually scratch the surface. I, I still don't know what I'm meant to be doing or like, what is my next step? And so I really wanted to kind of articulate all the things I had learned in those six years of setting up Smack Bang and break it down into something that is yes palatable and entertaining but also really pragmatic and as you say like something that you can refer back to like you do um and yeah just kind of making pulling together all of my resources and you know there's so many people featured in there that were experts in their field are experts in their field so yeah the, it, the intent kind of came from fuck I reckon my life would have been so much easier if I had that rather than figuring everything out in the dark you mentioned mentors along the way. How did you find them? And 
at what stage did you realize it's a good time to yeah. work with a mentor? Um, my first, like, I mean, I've always had kind of mentors in a loose term, but my first official mentor, um, a woman named Prue Chapman, who is incredible. And I think we started working together when I was maybe two years into it. Um, found her through a friend of a friend and we just instantly clicked and I think that that is so important in a mentor is there needs to be you need to have fun with them you need to be comfortable to go completely you know you need to be vulnerable and honest and you know that that is so much less daunting when you really get along with the person Um, so she kind of came into my life then and we worked together five or we have five or so years and she was instrumental, I would say, like just in terms of, yes, like structuring the business and creating systems and stuff, but more just my personal development, you know, finding the strengths, the, you know, my gifts and bringing those out and kind of granting me permission to not try and fix my weaknesses. It's like, fuck, everyone's got weaknesses. Just as long as you can identify them, know that they're there, outsource them in due time, just focus on your strengths. That's like key to being a business owner is just like accentuate what your gifts are and that's when the magnetism happens what did that process of working with a mentor look like would you wait until you had a specific problem crop up and then email them and say hey this has happened what do you recommend yes yeah, so a lot of my mentors i work in that way they're just like mentors for different reasons in my life and when i do face a problem that i feel like ah yes i'll email that person particularly but with Prue, it was more of a formal kind of agreement so we caught up every two weeks um, and they were pretty like intense sessions and then I always had homework to do in between those two sessions so that was a lot more structured and it was exactly what I needed at the time but then I kind of got to the point where I was like yeah I feel like that served such a great purpose for the business but I feel like now I'm kind of ready to operate on a more loose kind of agreement with men like the structure didn't suit me anymore I was too too much perhaps did you find her by putting the word out to friends and say I'm really looking for someone no it was kind of by chance I do think that these things find you exactly when they need to but I was chatting to a a friend who did social media and I was kind of at the point where I was like maybe I could outsource our social media I just knew there was more that I could be doing I was like can you do, do me up a strategy or whatever and then the more that I went down that path I was like God, I don't need a social media person. Like, I need a mentor because I was asking her all these questions that I even knew in my mind. I was like, that is not your role. Like, sorry, I'm just stepping way out of your jurisdiction. And then she actually was like, I have, you know, one of her really good friends was Prue Chapman and she introduced me and literally I signed up. Like, we had coffee within 15 minutes. I was like, let's just start now. Um, And then, yeah, they're really great friends now as well. Did you pay her for her time? Yeah, right. yeah, because it was so structured and she is a business coach with clients. Um, yeah, it was a monthly kind of thing and it was worth every dollar. You know, she, like, I was able to earn 10 times that because of her. Well, that's a great thing to, to uh, wrap up with is the idea of if someone is in the situation that you were in, you know, eight years ago, yep. six years ago, at those early sort of stages of, I think some people who, who listen to this would either be either entrenched in the day job that's preventing them from taking the leap yes. into being a sole trader or, yep. or starting their own thing, or they're in the early stages of doing it and this is the crucial time when yep. you're learning and making mistakes. What do you think is some of the, 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 the worthwhile things that you would have loved to have just 
jumped on earlier besides mentorship mm. that would have been great to know about in advance? Um, I think getting my head around more industry specific stuff, like I said to you about the account management, like I really just kind of pull my blinkers on and for better or worse, you know, I think the beauty of SmackBang is that it's so different because of that reason. But in the same breath, my life could have been much easier if I'd done a little bit more research into the thing that I was setting up. <laughs> um, but yeah, as I said earlier, I think the best thing that you can do in that stage is just experiment. Like get some runs on the board, just get some clients. It doesn't matter if, you know, like I remember my first client wanting a website and I was like, sure, I can do that. <laughs> Went home and I was like Googling how to build a website, like YouTube videos, for seven nights straight learning code idiot got paid nothing for that website but I learned so much in the process so I think yeah just doing as much work as you possibly can and building up that that kind of repertoire and as I said before like using that to narrow in on what it is that you want to do and who you want to work with because once you find those two things that sweet spot is where you can really start to get some momentum because you're in your flow and what have you admired the design that you've seen anywhere else recently have you had your socks knocked off by anything you've seen around oh man um yeah i mean i i i kind of look across industries now like i i'm so inspired by the moment that is beauty i think that there's so much cool stuff going on in the beauty space beauty industry like i just if emily weiss is listening to this I'm ready for coffee. Let's do it. Emily, call me. <laughs> Holla. Um, but yeah, no, I think like there's so many cool things popping up. There's a lot going on in America and we're actually, I'm planning a bit of an activation in LA next year. So I'm kind of like getting really inspired by what's going on over there. And yeah, I can't, I, it's hard to think of anything specific. Mm. Well, I always love to, this is leading into the, the final question, which is I love to check in and say, if I was to see you in a year's time, yes. is there a project that is currently mid-completion or twinkle in your eye that yeah. you would be proud to say, yes, I've done it, I've nailed it, I've, yeah, cool. I'm well on the way question. to finishing this project or um, finished it completely? Surviving motherhood, <laughs> number one. One that's under wraps that I can't really talk about too much, but that's super exciting. And then, yeah, as I said, like this LA activation, we've found like the Americans love our work. It really resonates with them. And as much as I am a firm believer in you can work from anywhere and we have so many great relationships with our clients in America, I just want to be on the ground there. And I just want to be kind of having those gritty conversations and just learning more about that market and um, tapping into it. So, yeah, in a year's time, I'll be getting back from L.A. Follow Love me that. up. See you there. <laughs> well, what's the, um, the, the, the next book about? Um, so, what we are going to do, and don't hold your breath because my time is quite limited, is we're going to take each chapter of Calling the Shots and do a deep dive into it. So, for instance, uh, you know, the first one will naturally be on branding. Um, and so I'm going to deep dive into branding and how to actually, you know, like, how to develop a brand Bible yourself. Like, how do you build that strategy? Tell like, me that, yeah, exactly. So that's really exciting. And then we're just going to slowly tick off each of those chapters and deep dive into them. You know, like there'll be one on finances, which is just going to be juicy as fuck. Um, marketing, etc., etc., etc. Love that. Yes. I will. I've always suggested that Smack Bang is like the big sister agency Aww. to Marcello, and I just admire everything you do. Aww, I think thanks, it's so Jen. impressive and beautiful and fun. And same goes to you. If I could pull off colors as well as you, my life would be complete. <laughs> I, felt, I felt sacrilegious to come here. I, I was like, 
how did I not remember to wear a neutral tone <laughs> no, today? I love it. That's but, you. You know, it is. And I um, so I love it. I just think that yeah, it's such a beautiful space. Thanks, so thank you yeah. for inviting me in. Thank you so much for feeling mutual. <laughs> so good. Thank you. Thanks, guys.